Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in chapter number 15 is where we are going to be today, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are going to uh, get right back in. We've got just a few messages left in the book of Corinthians, and I don't know if this has been an encouragement to you, but it's been a big help to me, and uh, just seeing what God is teaching the believers in Corinth through Paul, and uh, every step of the way, it's been, uh, been a help. So last week, last week, we got our theme, By Grace, and we're going to see a little bit more about that uh, today, but a few weeks ago, <clears throat> I... Uh, I told you about uh, a name, a nickname that my sisters gave me growing up. And uh, if you were here, you'll remember that the nickname was Kermit. How many were here for that service? And I talked about that. Kermit the Frog. They called me that because I had such skinny legs, which I still do. Why'd you laugh? Uh, <laughs> they call me that because of just being so skinny, and I have, I have a picture on my phone. I tried to put it on the slides, but didn't get it in there, but it's, uh, it's just of me fishing with my dad, and I have little shorts on and literally just looks like two twigs with kneecaps, you know, right in there, and uh, man, I'm so skinny, but my sisters, they called me Kermit. My other sister, my one sister, Dina, uh, she called me Goober many times. She would call me Goober and say something to me about uh, being a goober, but everybody in our family, everybody had some sort of a nickname. We all had nicknames. Uh, My dad, people called him for years, they called him uh, Skinny Denny. And the reason was he was, my dad was real skinny until he was uh, in his 40s. Dad was real thin. They called him Skinny Denny. Me and my friends, we called my dad Elmer Fudd. And the reason was because his middle name was Elmer. He named after his father, Lewis Elmer, and you know that cartoon character Elmer Fudd. We'd always call Dad that. My one sister, Dina. <clears throat> Dina's been here a couple of times, but she's the one whose husband just passed away uh, back in October. Pray for Dina, if you will, in the Inslee family. But Dina, um, she's not the most uh, graceful person. And so all growing up, Dina's nickname was Connie Klutz. All, all the time, still to this day, my mom will say, okay, Connie, and if there's anybody here named Connie, I apologize, but uh, they call her Connie Klutz because she would knock things over. We were at, a, at a, uh, uh, some restaurants, and she knocked over a cup of orange juice and then knocked over, I think, a cup of soda, and she dropped stuff. She was one, Dina was one, that we were, uh, we were in Las Vegas traveling, and the wind picked, I think it was Las Vegas, the wind picked up really strong, and she started running uh, you know, like against the wind, and she wasn't watching where she was going. Going and she literally ran into a car and flipped up on the hood. Now, you're like, how, do, how does somebody do that? Connie Klutz. That was a nickname. Dawn, my sister whose husband pastors in Spokane. Uh, Dawn, she, um, <clears throat> she really didn't have a lot of nicknames. We called her, they, they called her Donnie Wani. How creative is that? And then they, they called her Dawn the Fawns. I was like, Mom, why? And she goes, well, it's because Happy Days, many of you know the show Happy Days, 
came out when my sister was a little kid, and so Fonzie, Don the Fonz, I'm like, well, how, what's the connection? They both have dark hair? I don't know. So my sister Dina and I, two days ago, we came up with some nicknames for Don. The winner was Don the Rainbow Warrior. We have no clue why. It just sounded good. How many of you, your family, you have nicknames in your family? You have nicknames. Here's the Kermit picture. Rob finally got that in there. <laughs> there's, my, there's my prisoner of war legs right there, you know? <clears throat> Man, you talk about a refugee in a camp somewhere or something. Like, I want to ask my parents, did you feed me? I just, I don't understand, but that's why they called me Kermit. Look, little, little, you know, little twig legs or something like that. But of all of our names, my, my mom, she, uh, she had the name that we gave her from the show Sesame Street. And I've mentioned this years ago, but my mom's nickname was Forgetful Jones, in Sesame Street, you know, not the newer, but the older, uh, there was a character, Forgetful Jones. He literally forgot everything all the time. And we called my mom Forgetful Jones because my mom, and I, I make fun of her for this, and she knows it, and she, uh, she woke up this morning with a little bit of cough, so she's watching online today. Uh, but I'll tease my mom about being Forgetful Jones because my mom's the one that she'll have glasses on her head and walk in and say, anybody see my glasses? Whenever she asks me, like, hey, have you seen something? I tell her, check your phone or, or check your pocket or check your head because that's probably where it is. We've called her before and she's answered and we've said, hey, mom, we found your cell phone. Yeah, you left it here. She, oh, really? Okay, all right, I'll. No, I didn't, you know. And, uh, and now, she's te- now my mom is texting me right now. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, mom. Man, that, name, that nickname, Forgetful Jones, it was one that kind of stuck with her. And uh, still to this day, we tease her and, and joke with her about being Forgetful Jones. You know the reason we call her Forgetful Jones? Because there was times in her life, and still are, and you and I have them. And let's be honest, we all could probably have the nickname of Forgetful Jones because every single one of us have walked into a room and forgot why we walked into the room. Whether you're 35 or 85 or 25 or 15, you've done that. Every single one of us have done that. The teens are like, no, I'm not that forgetful. But you forgot to clean your room like your parents asked you to. Uh, so you, you two are forgetful. You know, every now and then, every now and then we can forget, we can forget a lot of things. You know what happens sometimes is we forget important things. You ever forgotten a birthday? You ever forgotten an anniversary? You ever forgotten to do something you told somebody you would do and it came back to, to haunt you a little bit. I mean, we've all forgotten important things. Micah Bosworth, our church planter up there in, in Wenatchee. I'm gonna make fun of Micah for a minute, but uh, when he was starting the church right before he left, of course, Brian and Sam were already on staff and I asked Micah, I said, hey, I want you to help me. How could I be a better pastor to someone who's over the music ministry, to the music pastor. And he sat back, and Mikey just sitting there, and he was like, well, I'll, I'll get back to you. I said, all right, why don't you get back to me? He came back, and he had some, some great thoughts for me to help lead the ministry better, and, and I want that input. And then he said this. 
He said, Pastor, if there's one thing that, that I could maybe help you with, um, Pastor, remember his birthday. And I looked at Micah and I was like, okay, why? And he's like, well, <clears throat> you know, I've been here like six years and uh, Pastor, you forgot my birthday a couple times. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, birthday is just, you know, just a birthday. It's just like another dad. I told you Merry Christmas, you know. I told you Happy Anniversary. It's just a birthday. You know what? To some people, birthdays are really important. To others, it's not. To some, an anniversary is really important. To others, it's not. But here's what I'm getting at this morning is there's times in our life when we all forget important things. We can do it physically in the, in the physical world with family about dates and things like that. But did you know that sometimes as a Christian, sometimes as a follower of God, we live like we've forgotten some of the most important things that should be on our mind as a child of God. We live like, we go in through, we go through our days, our Monday and our Wednesdays, and we go through our Saturdays, and we kind of just go through our week living like we forget some important things. This morning, as we come back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, if you've been with us in our study, Paul, the apostle, is writing to the believers at Corinth. He had spent three years there. Acts chapter 18 records for us all of the great things that God did through Paul in the city of Corinth. But after Paul left, he received word by a delegation of people. They're listed in Acts, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians 16. We'll see them in, in two weeks, the, or three weeks. These people come, and they tell Paul that the church is, is, uh, is kind of weak. The, the believers there, they're falling back into sin and there's discontentment and there's discord and there's a lot of, of things taking place. And so what does Paul do? Man, he has this desire to write to them and to encourage them and to help them uh, with their walk with God. And so he corrects them, chapters one through six, and then he answers questions, chapter seven through chapter number 16. One of the questions that he answers is in chapter eight about the gray areas of life. And there's going to be times in life when you see something one way and another brother or sister in Christ may see it a different way and neither one of you are wrong because it's a, a gray area of ministry or a gray area of the Christian life. Paul wrote about marriage and relationship. Paul wrote about uh, the Lord's table and what it means to be a part of the church and the giftedness within the church, chapter 12, 13, and 14. But then as Paul comes, and we saw it last week, turns the page to what we would call 1 Corinthians 15, he wants to bring to the attention of the believers something that they apparently had been forgetting. Something that they apparently had been kind of disregarding. And in certain instances, something that they began to even question because of certain people that were coming in and planting seeds of doubt. That something is called the resurrection of Jesus. And you say, Pastor, how could somebody forget the resurrection of Christ? Well, before we condemn them for forgetting the resurrection and living like it didn't happen at times, did you know that there's times in our life when we too can forget about the resurrection? And we go and we live our day as if Jesus never rose from the dead. 
Oh, we don't live it in defiance and shake our fist at the heavens and scream out, curse you, God. We don't do things like that, but we live life for ourselves and with our own agendas rather than living for him and for his glory. You know what we're doing when we live every day for us rather than for him? We're neglecting, we're forgetting, we're disregarding the resurrection. Because this is where we're, this is where we're gonna start and this is where we're gonna end in a little bit. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should affect every area of your life. It should affect how you use your time It should affect how you speak to people. It should affect how you lead your family and speak to your spouse. It should affect how you invest in your grandchildren. It should affect how you work with coworkers and that relationship that you have with them. It should affect how you are as an employee. It should affect how you attend church. It should affect how you serve. It should affect how you give. It should literally, the resurrection of Jesus Christ should seep into or pour into every single area of your life and mine. But if we forget it, that doesn't happen. And this morning, I want to go with you to 1 Corinthians 15. We looked at the first 14 verses a little bit last week as we really looked at verse number 10. This week, we're going to look at the first 34 verses. And we're just going to understand, we're just going to understand how Paul writes to them, hey, don't forget the resurrection. Stand with me if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And we're going to go to just a few verses. We're going to bounce around as we get started This morning, 1 Corinthians 15, and beginning in verse number 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you? That phrase, among you, it means that there were people that were coming to the church. They weren't necessarily probably even believers of Christ, but they were outside influences that were around the believers at the church of Corinth. And what were they doing? That some among you, they were saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. There were some preaching that there is no life after death. Paul writes this, verse 13, but... If there be no resurrection of the dead, well, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain, useless, pointless, empty. And your faith, what you say you believe, that too is vain, pointless, empty. Skip down to verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead? It's not a question. It's a matter of fact. Hey, you need to know Jesus did raise from the dead and he became and became or become the first fruits of them that slept. Hey, there's some among you that say Jesus isn't alive. I'm telling you Jesus is alive. Verse number 33 and 34. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. 
Here's what the believers at Corinth were doing. They were allowing outside influences to put seeds of doubt in their lives that the resurrection didn't happen. Some of them were questioning it completely. Others of them were just neglecting it in their personal lives. And Paul writes to them the the importance of the resurrection of Christ, the fact that Jesus did raise from the dead, and if he rose from the dead, it should change how you live every day. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, talking about forgetting the important forgetting the important things. We're gonna talk this morning about how you and I can easily forget the resurrection, but we'll be challenged this week to make a decision before we leave today. God, this week, help me to remember that you truly are alive. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute, and in the quietness of your heart, would you ask God, God, would you please speak to me? God, would you please speak to me? And then would you... Make the decision today that you're going to listen to God. God, please speak to me. I'm listening to you. And I'll respond to you today. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your love and your care. Thank you for how you, thank you for how you love us and how you care for us and how you died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for the mercy that you give to us. Thank you, God, for the desire that you have to meet in our lives and to speak to us and help us today. And so I pray, help me in these next few minutes together. Would you help us to hear from you? Please, God, be with my words and my heart and work in each of our lives. Surrender to you to be used. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to the passage before us this morning, I want us to notice that what Paul says to them about the resurrection to try to bring it back to their attention. I want to see, first of all, today that the resurrection is foundational. The resurrection is foundational. Go Go with me, if you would, back to verse number one and verse number two, where we read these words. Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein... Ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. In these verses, here's what Paul is simply saying to the believers. He's saying, I want to remind you and I declare unto you, I want to call back to your attention what I preached to you when I was there for three years. Well, what is it? The gospel. Well, what's the gospel? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's going to summarize that in just a second. But I want you to notice when Paul says at the end of verse number one, he says, wherein you stand. Do you see that in the the passage in verse number one? Wherein you stand. That phrase, wherein you stand, it it means to have footing. The word stand would mean to, uh, would, would lead us to the idea of a foundation. There's a strong footing or there's a stronghold there. Here's what Paul is saying to them. This is the main thing, the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection, all three parts, your faith stands in that. Now, that's not a hard point to understand, is it? <laughs> because we'll see in just a minute. If Jesus Christ did not live, die, and rise again, then everything's pointless. 
The faith that you have, if, if you've trusted Jesus as Savior, you know what you needed to believe upon? You needed to believe upon not a church, not a baptism, not, not a good work, not a person of, 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 uh, uh, of humanity in, in sin nature. No, 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 no. You needed to believe on the perfect Son of God who was crucified, buried, and rose again. If, if there's, um, think about it this way. When we get to heaven, no one's going to stand up there and say, well, I'm here because of any other reason except for Jesus Christ. They're not going to say, I'm here because I was good, because I went to church, because my pastor, bishop, priest said. No, the only reason that you and I can have eternal life is because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is foundational. That's what Paul is saying in those first two verses. Hey, your faith stands in this. This is what uh, the, uh, Luke records for us multiple times. When they preached about Jesus, here's what they preached. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. If you go through all of the, uh, the gospels, all four gospels, and then you look at the book of Acts, as Luke wrote, and recorded the early church and their actions for us. If you were to go to those five books, do you know what people argued the most against? They didn't argue the most that Jesus was a good man. The Pharisees said, well, we can't doubt that he is a good man. He does miracles. You know what they doubted most? They doubted the deity of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those two most things that they scoffed at against the most, if my memory serves me correctly, in the four Gospels in the book of Acts. Do you know the uprising that was stirred against people, against Paul, many times when Paul preached? When Paul got to the fact of the resurrection of the dead, there were whole sections of people within the Sadducees and the Pharisees that would immediately, would immediately stand up against Paul preaching that. Why? Because it's foundational. The resurrection is foundational. It's the first couple verses. Notice secondly with me, Paul speaks and he helps us understand that the resurrection, it is validated. The resurrection is validated. There is proof of the resurrection of Christ. Go with me to verse number three, down through verse number uh, 12. Paul said, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I, because I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye or you believe. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the, of, the, of the dead? Here's what Paul is getting at in these first few verses of 1 Corinthians. We won't spend much time here uh, because we did a lot of it last week. But Paul is saying, hey, I told you when I was there, I told you that Jesus Christ lived his life. 
He died according to the scriptures. He was buried and risen again according to the scriptures, according to all of the prophecies. And then on top of that, he was seen by a number of people. He was seen physically alive by Peter. He was seen by the other apostles. He was seen by above 500 people, and many of them are still alive. When I'm writing this to you, Church of Corinth, many of those people are still alive. He says, and also he was seen of me. Hey, I'm an apostle born out of due time. I'm undeserving of God in my life. And we saw it last week where Paul said, and man, God saved me by his grace, and then his grace strengthens me every day. What is, what is Paul doing? He's pointing at all of the proof, physical proof, of the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, the resurrection happened and it's validated. People saw it and I know it's real because God has worked in my life. And then he kind of summarizes the section with a question. I just presented all of my proof. Now, where's yours? <laughs> How say you? You see that? How say some among you that there, hey, after everything I just gave you, how can you say that there is no, how say somebody among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul is basically helping them understand this, knowing all this proof. How can you even entertain the idea that there is no such thing as the resurrection? There's an author out there. His name is J. Warner Wallace. J. Warner Wallace writes, he was, he was a detective, and he writes books about the biblical faith based upon his detective skills. And there's a number of great books, but one of the statements that he makes, I believe in this, this is in his little short booklet called Alive, about the resurrection. He says this, in the earliest accounts of the disciples' activity after the crucifixion, they are seen citing the resurrection of Jesus as their primary piece of evidence that Jesus was God. From the earliest days of the Christian movement, eyewitnesses were making this claim. You know what? And his, his whole thing, I love the way that J. Warner Wallace writes about what is possible and what is probable and all of the different uh, uh, um, uh, detective, I can't think of any other phrasing, detective skills that he uses uh, to dissect the resurrection. Everybody goes back to the early days. And you know what they were teaching? I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who claimed we have seen Christ. You know what they did? They went around and they spoke to everybody. We have seen Christ. Now, who's going to do that? Somebody, A, who's telling the truth, or somebody B who's absolutely insane. Well, why? Because if you say that Jesus rose from the dead, you are standing against Rome and they will come after you. Are you willing to die for something that you didn't actually see? Are you willing to die for something that you are making up? No, you know what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is validated. These early believers, they weren't just trying to make something up. They had really seen Jesus, the risen Christ. Luke says it this way in Luke, or in Acts uh, 1.3. To whom also he showed himself after, alive after his passion by many, notice the phrase, infallible proofs. Hey, these proofs aren't Swiss cheese. You can't just see through the holes of, these, of this proof. No, 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 it's infallible. There is no 
gaps in it. There's no holes in it. These are infallible proofs being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Hey, church at Corinth, you are talking that the resurrection did not happen. I want to tell you the resurrection is foundational. The resurrection is validated. But notice thirdly, the resurrection is critical. The resurrection is critical or, or it is crucial. Go to verse 13. Because Paul says this, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found as false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep or have already died in Christ, they're perished. They're just done. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In this passage, in these few verses, Paul begins to play the what if game with them. You know the what if game. Well, what if? Your teenagers play that with you. Well, what if, mom? Well, what if, dad? Here's Paul playing the what if game with the believers at Corinth. What if, let's just, let's just say, what if the naysayers are right? What if there is no resurrection? Now, I won't dissect all of this, but four simple things that Paul speaks about of the what if Jesus or there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection, then Jesus Christ is still dead. Now we have to understand in the context, they are not only arguing the resurrection of Christ, they're arguing life after death, the resurrection of the dead at all. There is no life after death. That's what a whole group was coming in and saying. So Paul says, all right, let's play the what if game. If, if the resurrection doesn't take place, then Christ is dead. He's still in the grave. And if Christ is dead, then our preaching, our ministry, it is vain. It is empty. It is of no use. Your faith that you stand on, the reason that you gather the first day of the week, believers at Corinth, the reason that we gathered every day for three years to get into the word of God, our faith, it's pointless. If Jesus is dead, we are simply lying prophets of God that should be stoned under the Jewish law. If Christ is not risen from the dead, then you're preaching that the preaching is vain, faith is vain, and you know what? You are still in your sins. Hey, you're still bound in your sins. That means you have no relationship with God. You have no forgiveness from God. You have no acceptance by God. You have no comfort from God. You literally have nothing that I've been writing unto you about. There is no hope. There is no peace with God. Everybody who died before, there's no hope about seeing them again. No, 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 no. Your loved ones who've died, like your parents and your grandparents and your family that has died for the faith, hey, they're just dead and gone. You will never, ever see them again if the resurrection didn't happen. You see the picture that he's trying to paint for them? Hey, no wonder he said it's foundational. Everything you believe is built upon the resurrection. No wonder he said, hey, I'm trying to show you and prove to you it is validated. Why? Because it is so critical. But I love how he summarizes it in verse number 19. 
if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Basically, he says, if all of this is true, that phrase, we are all of all men most miserable, it means we are a pitiful and miserable people. It means you are a loser. That's in the Greek. That's what he's saying. He's like, hey, listen, if in this life we only have hope, hey, if this is just a religious crutch, you're insane. You're pitiful. People, no wonder people could look at you and scoff and say, well, it's just your crutch. It's just your, because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, hey, what's the point of all this? The resurrection truly is critical to what we believe. And to the church at Corinth, Paul is saying, hey, you haven't really thought about the ramifications of a belief like this. You're letting people influence you and you're getting distracted from thinking that the resurrection took place. Hey, the resurrection is critical. It is foundational. It is validated. But notice fourthly today, the resurrection, it brings hope. Hey, the resurrection brings hope. Notice quickly. Verse 20 down through verse number 30. But now, now is Christ risen from the dead. Hey, I'm here to tell you, church at Corinth, Jesus did raise from the dead and he became the first fruits of them that slept. For, by, or for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power for, or because he must reign, he will reign. And until he hath put all enemies under his feet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed, it is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, uh, it is manifest that he is accepted. Ex- yeah, I can't, I can't read. He is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? In this passage, Paul is simply trying to bring out the fact that the resurrection, it did happen, and the resurrection brings hope into your life. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, and that part of it is true, then you have to know that the end of it is true that one day he will reign. Now, can we have a little teaching moment? Just, I'm gonna put a pause on the preaching. We're gonna teach just for a second. Verse 29 can be a very confusing verse. Verse 29, it says this. I want you to look at it. It says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? Now, there are some religions, and, and if this is a religion you grew up in or that you're still connected with, we, uh, if you've been around me long enough, I'm not gonna bag other religions. We're just gonna try to point to what, the, what does the Bible say? There are other religions that will pull this verse out of context, and they will say, if you pay a certain amount of money, 
you could get baptized for your dead loved ones. See, the Bible says, baptism for the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 29, and they go to that verse. Okay, that is taking scripture out of context. Well, how do we know? In order for something in the word of God to be true, okay, we have to compare it with the word of God. Is that right? Okay, nowhere else in the word of God does it talk about getting people out of a purgatory, out of a hell, by baptizing you getting baptized for them, okay? Now, there's a few different lines of thinking that scholars, you know, everybody argues over the Bible. Everybody has their own personal points of view, but let's just bring it back to context, and I'll let you make your own assumption of what you believe. There's two different main directions, and both of them could be true about this verse. The first one is that Paul is simply saying Jesus is alive. Baptism, the book of Romans, which he already wrote, or which he, uh, no, he hadn't written yet. But the, the thought would compare with Romans chapter six and verse number four. Hey, when you get baptized, you are baptized into a living Christ. It's not part of salvation. It's just a baptism that is alive. Okay, that's some people's thinking that Jesus or Paul's just kind of doing some writing of this. Here's my thought. This is what I think. If you look up historically, Historically, there were religions even then that were teaching that you could baptize people to get them out of a Hades or a purgatory. It is those same people on the outside of the church, listen, this is crazy, who were coming to the church and they were telling the church that there is no resurrection of the dead. So here's Paul saying this. Hey, uh, there are those among you, if you see verse number 29, when he says the, uh, he uses the phrase they. He doesn't say we or us. He says, else, what shall they do? Why are they, if they don't believe in a resurrection of the dead, why do they preach in their own religion a baptism for the dead? You know what Paul's doing? He's doing the same thing he did in Acts chapter um, 17. 16 or 17, when Paul quotes from the Greek philosophers of the day to talk about God the Father. You know what he's doing? He's pulling from even their outside sources, and here's what he's saying, and don't, don't miss it. Don't get caught up on verse 29 and miss the thought. All Paul is doing is bringing out this point. Jesus really did raise from the dead, and they even know there is life after death. They're coming in and they're speaking to you all of these lies, but go to their religion and search what they believe. Why are they baptizing for the dead? If, G, if, the, if the dead rise not, what's the point of them teaching that? Hey, they're trying to infiltrate you with falsehoods. You need to know what you believe and stand up and understand the resurrection did really happen. But in these 10 verses, you know what Paul is really helping them understand? He's helping them see that the resurrection truly brings hope to the believer. I'm not going to go back and do everything, but what he says in verse number uh, 20, that Jesus is the first fruits. I love this quote. It explain what it means by the first fruits. When the priest waved the sheaf of the first fruits before the Lord, it was a sign that the entire harvest belonged to God. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was God's assurance to us that we shall also be raised one day as part of that future harvest, a statement that he holds the keys to death and the grave. When he is the first fruits, it goes back to the sacrifices in the Old Testament 
The first fruits would be something waving, saying, hey, hey, God, this belongs to you and everything that follows. And Jesus is the first fruit in the fact that by Adam, sin entered into the world and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But in Jesus Christ, forgiveness comes into the world. And Jesus Christ is the offering offered up to God and waved to God saying, hey, I am the first fruit. I risen from the dead. I have conquered death. And everybody who believes in me, they too will rise from the dead and they too will conquer death. And the last death, the last enemy to be destroyed, you see it there in verse number 26 or 27, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. What is Paul saying in all of this? He is saying, hey, Jesus really did raise from the dead. He is really going to reign. And if you've believed in him, you too are raised, going to raise from the dead and you too are going to reign with him. And one day you will understand church at Corinth that everything that I preached and everything that has been stated in scripture, it is not only real and has not only happened, but it brings hope to you. Man, I am thankful today that Christ rose from the dead. Because it brings hope, it brings forgiveness, it brings the peace of God, it brings all of the uh, great characteristics of the Holy Spirit along with it and the presence of God and the comfort of him. But you know what it brings me? It brings me hope that I'll see my dad again. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I'm never gonna see him again. Hey, but he did raise from the dead, so I get to hug my dad's neck one more time. Hey, it brings me hope today that I'm going to see Don Honeycutt again and and Bob Shea again, and I'm going to see Sam Stewart again, and you're going to see your loved one and your spouse and your friend and your son and your daughter and your grandparent. Hey, if they trusted Christ, you know what that is? The hope of heaven. Hey, you know what, believer? When you and I neglect the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know what we're saying? There's no hope, but there's hope. And so Paul writes to him, there is hope. Tony's going to see his mom again. There is hope. Christy's going to see her sister again. There's hope. You see Mel again. There's hope. I can go around and I can keep going on the death of loved ones that everybody in here has experienced. Hey, if your loved one knew Christ as Savior, there's hope. Hmm. I'm glad Jesus rose from the dead. Not only because of the hope of seeing others, but you know what? He rose from the dead. You know what the greatest hope is? I get to hug my Savior one day. And I don't know about you, I'm a hugger. I know some of you are kind of like, eh, pastor, don't hug me, you know. Man, I'm a hugger. And I always talked about, and I will try not to cry, but I always talked about hugging my dad and just how it felt. Just because my, my dad, I don't care what you say, my dad hung the stars. He wasn't God, but God asked my dad for some, you know, hey, could you come alongside me and, and I'm gonna invest in you. My dad, my, God made my dad special. You know what? When I hug my dad, man, total peace. I could be experiencing the worst thing in my life and hug my dad, and you know what happened? And I'm not trying to make you cry, and I'm trying not to cry, not to do this. You know what happened? In my life, in in my heart, when I hug my dad, you know what I think? I think God was giving me just an Eensy, weensy, teeny, tiny, little bit of what it's going to be like to hug Jesus. Man, I can't wait to hug him. Man, think about the comfort that he brings as the Holy Spirit in your life. Imagine the comfort it's going to bring when you just hug the Holy Spirit, when you just hug Jesus Christ and he just puts his arm around you and nothing needs to be said. 
Man, you know what that is? That's hope. That's peace. I'm looking forward to that. Now, I'm not trying to make things sad. I'm not, again, I'm not. I'm just trying to help us understand, like, man, there is hope in heaven. There is an eternity around the corner. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And so since he rose from the dead, we have hope. Paul wrote it this way to the church at Thessalonica. He said, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There is as we close this morning, I want you to notice lastly that the resurrection not only brings hope, the resurrection is motivational. Hey, the resurrection is motivational. Verse 31 through 34, Paul said this, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage, advantage is it uh, me? What advantage is it to me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Good manners awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What's Paul saying in all of this? Simply this, the resurrection of Jesus should affect every aspect of my life. He's like, hey, listen, if the resurrection didn't happen and I went to Ephesus and I withstood all of the, the persecution in Ephesus, hey, what's the point? What's the point if that didn't happen? Verse 32, if Jesus is dead, go live it up. That's what he's saying. What is the point? I, I, I just, I don't understand. But since he did raise from the dead, be not deceived. Verse 33, hey, don't be taken off into little deceptive lies. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Hey, the speaking that you've been listening to, it is corrupting the life that you live. So awake to righteousness. Hey, wake up to that which is good and that which is right and sin not. Well, why, Paul? Because some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak this to your shame. But what are you saying, Paul? Paul. <clears throat> Hey, Jesus really did raise from the dead. And if it doesn't touch your life, there are people that are around you that they don't know that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't have the knowledge of it. And you know what? You might be the only person in their life that they could look at, that they would meet, that knows that Jesus rose from the dead. But since you're not living like it, they're never gonna receive it. And I speak that to your shame. Hey, who in your life doesn't know about Christ because your life is neglecting the resurrection of Jesus? That's what Paul's getting at. Hey, he rose from the dead. We aren't going to go just live it up. No, we're not going to be deceived. We're not going to be lied to. We're not going to allow the evil talk going on to corrupt that which we believe. We're going to awake to that which is right. We're going to die to ourselves. We're going to allow God to be glorified, not, not sinning. We're going to walk away from sin. What, what's he getting at? Hey, the resurrection of Christ should affect every area of you. If you believe the resurrection is real, then it should change your daily living. You see, the believer who is compromising with sin no longer has a witness to the lost around them. The believer who is allowing deception to pull them away from that which is true and that which is right, they no longer will be able to influence people around them. Paul is pointing them to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and saying it should be motivational in your life. 
I want to close this morning and ask you, have you ever been around someone who constantly forgets things? I mean, all the time. I joke about my mom, but she really, mom does, she has great memory. But you and I, we've been around somebody, they just forget stuff. My grandmother, she died of Alzheimer's. She had dementia, Alzheimer's for eight years. Honestly, when it first started, it was kind of comical. You know, she would say things and do things and all the family would kind of be like, oh man, some of you have walked through that. And, and, and again, it hurts and I'm not downplaying the, the uh, uh, disease of dementia and Alzheimer's and all of that. But at first it was kind of comical, but you know what? After kind of reality sets in and you're living it, it's frustrating because you can see the frustration on them and you can experience the frustration. And you, you know, it's just like, ah, and you know they are thinking, I just want to communicate. And you're thinking, I just want you to communicate. And it's just frustration there. I wonder sometimes how we as believers make God feel when we live our days as if he's still dead. We live with spiritual amnesia. We live with a mind that says, this life is for me and not for you. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ really did happen. It is foundational. It is validated. It is critical. It brings hope, but it brings motivation. And so the challenge and the question I want to leave you with this week is, is your life, is it helping people come to the conclusion that Jesus did raise from the dead? Or are people doubting the resurrection because they see no change in you? Someone will make an assessment about Jesus this week based upon your life and my life. Now, does that mean that we live right so that other people would look at us? No, 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 no. We live right because he's alive and I love him. We live right because he's alive and I trust him. We follow, and we just follow his steps each and every day. And you know what God does? He uses that to help somebody who doesn't have the knowledge come to the knowledge of Christ. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.